Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Fundamentalists. We are coming at you once again from two different parts of the world. I, Elliot Morgan, am here in Los Angeles, California, inside my trademark, Ellie Hut, where I spend a lot of my time. And it's super convenient out here, and it's my little happy place until I have to use the restroom, uh, and then I have to go back into the house, and sometimes I can't because my partner is also recording something, and we have to work that out. So occasionally, I urinate outside my house. You didn't need to know that, but I do do that. There's a grate outside, and I found it. I consider it my little Ellie urinal. Anyway, this isn't what the podcast is about. Pete is also coming at you remotely from Belfast, Ireland. Pete, how's Belfast? Oh, it's great. I am alive and direct from Narnia, basically, which is a place called Crawfordsburn, where C.S. Lewis spent a lot of his time. And uh, the forest that I can see out the window is um, the one that supposedly inspired what Narnia looks like. So it's pretty beautiful. The sun's out. Have you peed in it? I haven't peed in it yet, but I'll maybe do that tonight. That could be a little treat. Yeah, you have a part. You have a shindig to go to. That's usually how shindig. Yeah, that's how parties end for me. I end up usually peeing outside or yeah. by a dumpster. Uh, I would definitely pee in that forest if I had the opportunity. Yeah, I don't know what you're waiting. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. Well, folks, a uh, few uh, few housekeeping things. First uh-huh. of all, um, Pete comes back a week uh, from today, I guess, right? That's yes. A, yes. Okay, which is pretty exciting. We're recording this on, uh, what is it, May something or other? Are we still in yeah, May? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so when that happens, we'll be back in person. This particular episode is on the idea of the identified patient, which I've been thinking about a lot lately. And we'll get into that, uh, which is very fun. And before that, also thank you to the folks who have signed up at patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. We very much appreciate it. And also I put the first post up there, Pete, did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, that's good. I'm going to I'm maybe going to put some stuff up there as well, actually start to kind of populate it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I asked the, the patrons to throw out some ideas on what they would like. Uh, and um, some people have left some really good ideas. And then I also just put a photo of like a stack of books that I have and kind of gave little summaries. And one of my favorite comments, uh, which was the first comment was Elliot, please don't be smart. I am not comfortable when you get smart. <laughs> and I was like, me neither. But there, uh, there it, is no, there's no, there's no worries about that. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> That's like, never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's either I'm BSing it well or I'm just coming off completely wrong. But uh, yeah, it's all very fun. So you can sign up there, folks, if you would like. We uh, we now have the ability to get this sound edited, which is so wonderful. So I hope you're enjoying the higher quality. And uh, also, if you would like to see me live, I'm working on my new hour of stand-up comedy, which I've mentioned before, called the Ridiculous Universe, which you can get tickets for at elliotmorgan.com slash tour uh and it is uh in spokane and tacoma washington followed by tampa and orlando followed by columbus and liberty township ohio so if you're interested in any of that it's going to be all across the summer just little little one-off shows and i would love for you to come do it because i'm very excited to talk about different things um and i'm ordering all of the bits right now and i'm trying to figure out a creative way to order it i think i talked about this last time rather than do bit 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 i'm trying to do like a I'm trying to diagram it like almost like a spiral. So it's, it'll start almost in the middle and then it'll kind of spiral out. But anyway, we'll get into that uh, on a video that, yeah, that's not relevant to what we're talking about here. Identified patient. Okay. Yes. Kick us off. This is a great subject. And uh, yeah, I've got a few things to say, but you were the one who came up with this. So have you been um, doing some work on this idea or just reading about it or what? I read about it. Yeah. um, My, um, my, my, therapist brought it up we were talking about um 
really we weren't even talking about family dynamics we were talking about uh how family dynamics can extend into also work environment and collaborative uh environments which would include in my particular case valley folk uh which is where i've i've spent a lot of time over the past four years and i don't want to get into the details of it but it was a thought process that led me um to kind of be very curious about this subject and my therapist was like this is something you should talk about on the fundamentalist and i was like we usually don't take uh suggestions from fans <laughs> and uh he was like don't worry i'm not a fan uh, uh, that's not gonna happen uh, but yeah so this is for those of you who don't know you want me to dive into it pete please do go for it all right folks um i'm going to do what i do best when it comes to things i want to pretend like i know what i'm talking about which is read from the wikipedia page so here we go identified patient is a clinical term often heard in family therapy discussion it describes one family member in a dysfunctional family who expresses the family's authentic inner conflicts usually the quote designated patient expresses their physical symptoms unconsciously unaware they are making overt dysfunctional family dynamics that have been covert and which no one can talk about at home occasionally the identified patient is partly conscious of why and how they have become the focus of concern in the family system so the example i heard was you imagine um your therapist some parents come in their daughter is uh, let's say anorexic. And so you, they sit down and through the course of therapy, they realize it's really not the daughter uh, who is the problem. The daughter is actually manifesting what's going on with, uh, with the parents who uh, have created an environment of lack of communication or whatever it's built up and now it's manifesting in this in this uh, symptom so as a family systems dynamic the overt symptoms of identified patient draw attention away from the quote elephants in the room no one can talk about which need to be discussed such as a pending separation or divorce if covert abuse occurs between family members the overt symptoms can draw attention away from the perpetrators all right the identified patient is a kind of diversion and a kind of scapegoat Love that term. Often a child. This is the split off false carrier of a breakdown in the entire family system, which can be a transgenerational disturbance or trauma. Now, this leads us to criticism of the idea of identified patient, which is my favorite tab on the Wikipedia, uh, every Wikipedia page. By the way, Standing I think this is uh, this is how we should do all future fundamentalist podcasts. I think you should just read, read Wikipedia. Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> It's just an hour of me just clicking, which is basically what this is, because I did go down a Wikipedia wormhole uh, on this, but it's almost done. So extending the original concept of the identified patient, the anti-psychiatry movement went on, which is a fun term, the anti-psychiatry movement. I feel like I might be a part of that. And I didn't even know it. The anti-psychiatry movement went on to argue it is the family who is chiefly mad rather than the individual the family identifies as sick positing also that the latter might be in fact the least disturbed member of the family nexus. Now I agree with that. I don't even, I don't even see how that's a criticism. It just sounds more like uh, something I agree with. Now, just to bring it back full circle, spiral, Carl Jung, who viewed individual neurosis as often derived from whole family or social groups, considered himself a case in point. Of course he did, a little narcissist. I feel very strongly I'm under the influence of things or questions left incomplete and unanswered by my parents and grandparents and more distant ancestors, an impersonal karma within a family which is passed on from parents to children. Now, this brings me, last but not least, to uh, m one of my favorite Carl Jung quotes, uh, which is, excuse me, I have to, uh, here it is. 
The greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of its parents. I just like that phrase a lot, and it reminded me of it. There's no particular reason. Um, now, I also uh, don't think of this too much in terms of my own family systems currently, but I also think about what do you... Are you writing things now? I was trying to, <laughs> but every pen I lift up isn't working, so... <laughs> it just sounds too like scribbling, so it sounds like you're ferociously writing things. <laughs> Yeah, this is this inspired lots of thoughts, but keep going. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm at right now. I, I, uh, I I've been over the past couple months thinking about it in terms of of re uh, conceptualizing some of the things I've experienced in my professional life, and it definitely lines up with this. There's been times where I have uh, seen what I believe to be the problem of a situation, realized later it was the identified patient that was actually a manifestation of a global internal conflict that did not get resolved when the focus of was primarily on the identified patient. And that's going to be as vague, that's going to be as specific as I get on that front. But uh, we could revisit it later, depending on on uh, how we feel. But uh, that's more of a conversation for us when we're in person together than it is when we're remote. So what are your thoughts popping up here, Pete? What do you think? Yeah, no, so I love it. Um, Yeah, the first thing I wanted to kind of maybe talk about is how this actually has a much more a correct view of what human beings are. So we tend to think that human beings are atoms, individuals, that I am in my head, you're in your head, and we interact in the public world. And uh, we think of when you're born, you kind of jump into the public world. So you start off as an individual, and then you go into the public world. But the truth is more the other way around, that we are public first, you know, we, we kind of are colonized by language. The, before we can even speak, all of these words are being spoken around us. Our parents, our uh, siblings, all of these people are speaking. And we learn to speak. We're colonized by these words. So before we even speak them, we are spoken by them. And so actually, it takes years before we kind of like become an individual, uh, begin to get a sense of self. So technically, we are so much more intertwined with our environment and with our families than we may otherwise think. And I, I know some people who have had this very problem with one of their children, their, ch their child is suffering from various things. And what they've done is they've sent the child to a variety of doctors. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And they, they talk about basically how the doctor, there's a problem with the brain. And if only they kind of can resolve this problem, it's going to be fixed and basically aren't asking the question whether the child's issues are actually a manifestation of a problem within the family. In other mm -hmm. words, the symptoms are not the problem, they're the solution to a problem within the family. So yeah, so that's that's basically yeah, the, what uh, this is. The symptoms are just the uh the check engine light. And you can't, if you turn off the check engine light, you're still going to have a broken engine if you're not careful, which reminds me of, I just got my car fixed. Did I tell you this? No, no. I knew your, to, car, your car's always kind of planned up in some way, isn't it's it? It's got some kind of, yeah, it's got some yeah. kind of attitude. And I think a lot of it was, I just didn't, I didn't take it anywhere that knew what they were doing. And now it works. It's been great. Like it's back to like, I love it. I like love driving it. It's wonderful. I have a Volvo for anybody who gives a crap. Uh, little Volvo SUV and I do love it for all of her idiosyncrasies and all of her problems but when I brought it in um, they were like what well, what do you got going on and I was like 
Oh, I just haven't been driving it for a really long time because, you know, uh, it's been the pandemic and I just haven't, you know, it's been sitting a while and the check engine lights on and then also this is going on and I think this isn't working and this isn't working. And it goes, all right, well, let me get in and, and see kind of what it, what's going on. Super nice guy gets in. He gets out of the car. He goes, okay. And he looks at me and he goes, did you want to wait till every light on the car came on before you brought it in? And I was like, oh, that is how I deal with my life uh, as like a whole. That's like a Christmas tree. It's, it's your Christmas. I, said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I wanted to wait till it was like Christmas in there. And he was like, all right, we'll give you a call when it's ready. And he gave us gave me a call and it, it hurt my heart, uh, hurt my bank account, but it was all worth it. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, the symptoms tell you what's going on. I also like the what when you were saying that the idea of uh, – this i just like the word but you know participation mystique you know that oh yeah that word the the idea it's like a union thing before you learn words and you're a baby and you're just at one with everything you have that participation mystique it's your your ah. everything's magical everything's omnipotent because you don't know nothing uh very good so it's 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 a union term for that type type of immersion in language before yeah, we, yeah. it's kind of almost where we're spoken by language before we speak is that correct or i don't know pre, yeah. yeah pre-language i think yeah you're, you're born into it and it's it's a uh it's it would be like how uh humans were before language as a whole to just sort mm -hmm. of uh you don't recognize the separation of yourself from the rest of your environment uh yes very good and because all of this connects because when you don't when you can't articulate these things, they are, they run wild. So actually, you know, if, if the child isn't able to articulate why they're wetting the bed, so the child says wetting the bed, and actually it's not because they've got some sort of issue, it's because there's an anxiety in the family, unspoken aggression, unspoken frustration and, and bitterness. And so obviously the, the solution to the problem is the bed wetting. And it's the solution to the problem because everybody can just go, oh, it's almost like a phobia when yeah, you've got a generalized yeah. anxiety, yes, and you you pin it onto mice or spiders as a way to distance yourself from this internal object. Yep, yep. It's uh, and then you realize that uh, yeah, the, I like the idea of calling it a solution because it allows everybody to not pay attention and not go through the difficult process of yeah realizing what's actually going on. And then the daughter or the teenager or whatever is i think like that criticism was saying the most normal one because they're at least expressing yeah. what's going on in some way yes absolutely mm -hmm. and the and the issue is like then people start to think oh we can cut it out like a cancer so instead of it being something that's throughout the entire body of the family it's like oh this bedwetting if only we can do hypnosis or we can get some sort of drug or we can do this or that we can cut it out just like um desensitization therapy in which someone has a phobia of spiders and so you try to just desensitize them to spiders as if that's the issue <laughs> as if uh, not realizing that the phobia of spiders covers over something else um yeah and so it, it, it's a way weirdly of kind of like avoiding the family avoiding the deeper problems just like for the phobic subject being terrified of butterflies is a great way to avoid confronting the deeper trauma and anxiety that the butterfly represents. But as long as you've got the butterfly to blame, you can say, well, I just don't go yeah. to places where there are butterflies. The, the problem, by the way, with phobia is eventually it starts to keep growing because unconsciously you try to get more distance and more distance. So suddenly you can't go where butterflies are and then you can't watch certain TV programs and then you can't stand moths and other flying things. And eventually a phobia can really dominate your life unless 
you can get to actually what lies beneath it or within it. I really like how you switched from the example from spiders to butterflies. Cause I was like, when you're like, Oh, it's really not about the fear of spiders. Like, well, I don't know. I think spiders are pretty scary, but yeah. when you switched to butterflies, I was like, yeah, that's too weird and too normal and too nice of a thing to be scared of. But who am I to say what people should and shouldn't be scared of, but there's absolutely no world in which spiders aren't legitimately scary and butterflies right. are legitimately wonderful. Only if you live in Australia. If you live in Australia, then I, a spiders are legitimately something you can be terrified of. Maybe in America as well. Terrified. Do, yeah, do, I mean, in Florida, the spiders are just poisonous. horrendous. Uh, the, I don't. I, yeah, there's some definitely, definitely some poisonous spiders. But um, I've met someone who 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 said they had a fear of butterflies. Um, and I remember just being like, whoa, that is uh, fascinating. I would love to get in that brain and poke around and see yeah. what's going on to make yeah, that It's a very happen. common one. Yeah, it's a really, really, really common one. Yeah, and birds. I have a friend who's a psychoanalyst. He's been in psychoanalysis for years. I was at, I was sitting in a park one day with him, and we were chatting, and I, I was chatting to him and said, you're talking about the cure, the psychoanalytic cure. And I go, like, do you ever wonder whether, you know, this cure – in terms of individuals is really, you know, as effective as we would like it to be. And he was, you know, we were talking about it and then a bird flew past him and he went crazy. And I was like, look, you've been in therapy for 25 years. You're still terrified of birds. And he's well, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says that, they're flying uh, mice. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, that's very funny. That sounds yeah. uh, almost like synchronicity when he's, <laughs> why isn't, <laughs> why do you ever feel like this doesn't work and he just freaks out and loses his mind at a bird? That's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, something going on there yeah the really the butterfly thing is common yeah yeah it's pretty common um anything like that's kind of flittery and wings and small yeah. and yeah yeah moths and butterflies birds mice spiders those are those are very common ones yeah i'm not a fan of a lot of those but i, I wouldn't say i'm necessarily terrified of them i don't get yeah. excited when i see a, a mice um yeah. but I mean, when i have to trap one yeah, the phobic object is whenever, yeah, all of your anxiety gets locked into some object like that. Yeah. So and and that's it. I think it's it's definitely structurally what we're talking about with this idea of the symptom bearing child. Yeah. Is uh it's like something bears the weight, becomes the concretization of some unspoken anxiety. Yeah. Do you do you know um have I told you about my phobia? My only thing that I'm not, I wouldn't even call it a phobia, but I'm revolted by the, um, you know, the little holes and things. Oh, you know that's a common buttons. Do you, what about, do you like buttons with holes in them? Do they freak you out? No, they don't freak me out. Yeah. It, it, it's like a, I think a good example, I forget the name of it. Um, it's like if you crack open a pomegranate, uh, let's see here. Oh, ugh. Yeah, no, that's it. That'll do it. Oh, you told uh, me about this. You told me about yeah. this. Yes. All oh, ripped up. Yeah, that grosses me out. Um, it's like a series so of holes. Series of holes. Tell me about it. Uh, they say it's based in like an evolutionary fear of um, the whole dark places of of uh uh you know back in the day you couldn't things could be poisonous or whatever. And so they say that, and it's also not really like an official thing, but there's definitely people, let me see my 
dang keyboard doesn't work fear of holes uh yeah 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 what is it called oh yeah trypophobia um an aversion or fear of clusters of small holes bumps or patterns um i will not hit images on it because i've done that enough times before a great example is this uh what is trypophobia about people who have felt queasy when looking at surfaces that have small holes gathered close together uh and then it'll show an example which is like a almost like a honeycomb type of thing certain plants yeah it's real crazy I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you, you think, of course, the first thing you think of is skin, you know, skin as a surface, which is semi-permeable with lots of holes. Uh, uh, I'd be interested about that connection, if there's any connection with skin mm -hmm. and touch. Um, do you know my one? I've got a crazy one. Oh, uh, what is, oh, I, yeah, you. I do know. I do know. Uh, this is fascinating. I think um, I know. I'm yeah, looking okay, up the ahead. word because I forget the word. The word is Sid Sidong Lubophobia. I think that's how you say it. Sid Sidong Lubophobia. You're people you're afraid of people sitting on you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, I am afraid of cotton balls. Okay, so that's that's a new one. That's a new one for me. Yeah, Is that right. Uh, cotton wool. I, cotton wool. Oh my god, it's horrible. See if you give me like lots of cotton wool and like, you pull it apart. Yeah. Ah. Doesn't. Ugh. I can understand. It. I guess it does. It does something weird to my my jaw a little bit. You must hate the dentist. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you stick that stuff in. But here's the crazy thing: if it's wet, it's kind of okay. It's dry. It's when it's dry. So. But yeah. Interesting. If, oh yeah. But if you couldn't put cotton wool in my mouth, I would. I'd be. I would freak out. I'd be horrible disgusting wow. when yeah. was the last time you went to the dentist i you know what i haven't been to the dentist in 25 <laughs> years i don't know i don't go to doctors or dentists you know um i it's got so my teeth straightened out when i came to america because they were like a graveyard and i got the yeah. invisalign <laughs> that yeah. crushed them all into shape <laughs> well they look great uh i i did not know about the cotton ball thing have you thought about that from a psychoanalytic viewpoint what's your best guess as to what could be going on there that you don't like cotton balls I don't know. I, I've got a I've got a first memory. I have very few memories in my childhood, but I have a memory of a big roll of cotton wool in my parents' house, and it's definitely connected to my mother uh, in some sort of way. But I haven't mm -hmm. done any interesting. But but it's interesting. I have a memory of that cotton wool and that pulling apart and separation. And uh, yeah, there must be something there. I've also tearing. got another one. I've got a, uh, yeah, tearing. I've got one that doesn't even have a name. It's, and I've never found anybody else who has it. This so is this, the one I think. Oh yeah. Did you, do you want to say it or don't say it in case you say one of my sexual fetishes or something? Yeah, <laughs> I know this one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I like I do like though real quick that your your psychoanalytic your best psychoanalytic guess about the cotton ball phobia was that it may quote have something to do with your mother. That's very <laughs> on brand. <laughs> I don't know, maybe yeah. something to do. Uh, well, well, um, what's, what's what was the, the one, other one? Well, yeah. What do do you want to have a guess at what it is? No, no. I want you to say because I do have I do know of one, and I want to know if there's now going to be a third that I didn't. I know okay. for a second that I didn't know about. What do you got? Well, I, and this freaks me out, man, I hate this. I hate this. The sound of heartbeats. There it is. That's what I, that's the one I know about. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sound yeah. of heartbeats freaks me out. I can just about cope with it in movies and stuff like that now, but I see my own heartbeat putting my fingers to my, my wrist. Uh -huh. Oh, would hate to do really? that. Really? So it's just the feeling yeah. too. It's not even the sound. 
Oh God, the feeling's the worst. Oh, the feeling's the worst. My goodness. That pulsy beat. Oh, disgusting. All right. So that couldn't be anything but death drive, right? Oh, you broke right? up there for a second. Thankfully, oh. you didn't hear that. Were you analyzing yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, that's pure death drive. Oh. Uh-oh, breaking up again. Very symbolic. And we're back. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, do you... Where was I? Oh, okay. It was great. <laughs> this cut off right when I was saying, did you hear what I said about the heartbeat thing? No, thankfully. Were you psychoanalyzing me? <laughs> well, I mean, it seems like it's right there. It seems like it's a death drive for sure. Like you're wanting a, your heart, you're freaked out by the fact that you're alive. Yeah, well, you know, very good. I think there's probably an element of that, and that's very good. It's it's right. definitely a symbol of of life. Um, and I get it, man. It's a creepy, ominous thing, and it's used a lot in horror movies. And it's not the most comfortable sound. Yeah, but I, for some reason, that uh, there's not even a name for it. That's that's why I think it's a, such a rare phobia, which means it's you know, it's definitely have to analyze it at some point. But uh, yeah. So if I were to like pass out around you would you check my pulse or would you just go ha well, wish him luck <laughs> i would check your pulse i could do it I, I, if i had a push i would do it yes that's great <laughs> i appreciate it well um let's uh what else do we have on identity oh, yeah. any other thoughts yeah I, one of the things i think is most interesting about this um is actually that you can apply it to society that so you take something like homelessness if you have a city and there's a lot of homelessness and people think that homelessness is the problem uh, and a problem that you should solve. From this perspective, the homelessness is not the problem, it's the solution to a problem. There's a problem within the society. Maybe it's underemployment, maybe it's lack of mental health provision, uh, you know, variety of things. So there's a problem in the society. And the solution to it is to have a population that you can manage, police, arrest, move around. Just like in LA, there's massive homelessness. And then you have Skid Row. Skid Row is not a problem. It's a solution to a problem. It shows that there's a problem within the society. But the society can then look at Skid Row and go, oh, that's the problem rather than seeing Skid Row as dialectically related to an issue within the economic frame of Los Angeles itself. And that, mm -hmm. by the way, means that that to, to you listen to the homeless uh, or the prison population in a sense that they are the, the voice of the truth of the society. They are the site that speaks of the, the issue that is not spoken. And so in a sense, you know, we are not good news to the homeless. The homeless are good news to us because they speak to, they kind of ask us to change, to repent, to transform society so that you don't need that population anymore. And the big thing here is if you don't find out what the problem is, that the homeless population is the solution to, you'll never really get rid of it. You'll just, you, you might be able to give people blankets. You might be able to police it a bit better. You might be able to repaint areas, whatever. But ultimately, until you work out what the systemic kind of issue is within Los Angeles, the homeless population will be the, uh, the manifestation, the coagulation of the problem. Yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me of when people say that if we just killed all the men, we wouldn't have a patriarchy or misogyny anymore. 
<laughs> well, I, I, who are you hanging out with? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a pretty uh, extreme one. But <laughs> I just, uh, yeah. Oh, you haven't heard that? Yeah, I've, no. I've seen it on people. Just like we just need to kill all the men. I'm like, all right, well, you yeah. can who's start. Gonna, you start with Pete. Who's going to open up the jars? Who's going to open up the 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 exactly. marmalade jars? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I like to think that that's me in my house, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> it goes back, but, um, yeah. Uh, that's a it's a great example. I was in uh, Puerto Vallarta recently, Peter, and yeah, uh, I saw the pictures. By the way, it looked very cool. I was crazy. very jealous. Yeah, beautiful, dude. I I was truly uh, blown away and and jealous of what I was experiencing at the time. It was beyond what I expected a million times over. And I was walking down the streets at one point. Uh, me, Grace, Mamrie, Chip, and then I'm like very proud of myself at one point because i'm watching where i'm going and there's a lot of like potholes in that little downtown area and it and i was making sure like grace was not you know tripping and like i was like watch you know your step watch where you're going and then we were about to arrive at this bar and i like start looking at the bar instead of looking down at where i'm walking and i'm naturally of course because it's gonna be the most embarrassing thing i'm i trip i fell into a pothole that was not even really a pothole. It was actually built into the pavement. It was just how the road was. And I rolled my foot so hard that like I almost fell completely over. Like I was like, my my knees went to like a right angle. I went down and I was like, oh. And ev- and then there was some laughter because it was very in public. And, and there was a homeless person who was a uh, gentleman who was sitting on the wall who saw it. And he saw me do it. And he just out to the whole street just goes once a week. Oh, wow. Happens once a week. And I was like, oh, that's great. I was like, this happens all the time. And of course it was me. And it was um, the person who was homeless, who was just sitting there chilling, who was the one who called out (laughs) the the truth of the matter, which is that I was an idiot. And uh, and it, it, it hurt very bad for quite a while. And it still hurts, but it's getting better. But yeah, that reminded did, me of that. I did see like, that. I did see that, by the way. And I wondered what had happened. Like, how long did that not take you out for weeks? Took me out for a day. Yeah, first. I day, thought it was going to be right. months. Yeah, I because last time I heard, I thought it was a really, really long time that it, it took to heal. But this was um, this is still get it still hurts. Like every now and then it'll just like kick me, and I'll be like, oh crap, that hurts a lot. But um, it's way better. Uh, and I I just uh you know, Grace iced it a lot and put cold beer on it. It was very nice and, and very nursey toward me. But the, also it was all on a bed that had a giant vagina as the artwork. Uh, oh, giant. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I've never seen it. I was like, this is so graphic and so intense. And I'm just like in pain looking up at this thing. And I was like, this is a strange trip, but it's very fun. Anyway, wow. uh, back to what you were saying on a societal level. I totally agree that uh that the yeah it's the symptoms problem thing anytime it's all fun you just realize it's all all projection and all a product of the symptom versus cause thing is such a fun little game to play at least in even if it's not 100 percent true all the time if you can start thinking of it in that context it can open you up to certain things about the society or certain things about yourself that can be productive on a on a mental level 100% like so in most societies have a little bit of homelessness right there'll always be those things they'll always just as everybody 
you know, has physical ailments, things that go wrong. But if you have a society where there's a huge population problem or a homeless problem or a huge prison population or a lot of mental health issues, uh, then you start going, oh, this isn't just like uh, a problem. It's the solution to your problem. And as you said, even the perfect society just like a perfect body you'll still get aches and pains and eventually you know you'll have you'll you'll have a minor heart attack or something but generally you'll be healthy enough but mm -hmm. when like whenever i know people you'll know people as well but when people have persistent various kind of illnesses that that often have very symbolic dimensions like obviously digestive stuff or or headaches or jaw hurt you know uh square uh crunching your jaw your teeth or sore back and nothing can ever be found uh then often that's a hint that that these things are actually a coagulation of something that's not being spoken um just like in the family uh the the one child who's wetting the bed is actually the 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 bringing together uh the symptom mm -hmm. of the family so yeah it's a, it's a good way to think you know yeah, it's a very productive way, and it also takes so much pressure off of um, the people I think that are being or have so much put on them. Like the homeless population and the prison population, or the kid in the family, or the problem that you perceive to be the problem in in whatever relationship it is, end up bearing the burden of other people's neurosis and other people's failures or the system's failures. And no wonder it, everything is so messed up. I mean, to, to allow other people, especially children or your, your family members, to consistently carry what you refuse to deal with seems a little unfair, uh, if you think about it. Yes, yes, no, That's totally. And, and, and the thing is, like, as I say, we think that I like I think that I am inside my head, but in a in a more precise way, I am made up of all of these relationships and relations with other people because we're creatures of language and we share language and so in even in most relationships even in a relationship where one person is very dysfunctional i actually had a conversation today with somebody uh who's a member of their family uh went out got married to or almost married to somebody who had uh a serious rage issues and uh criminal issues and then that didn't happen and then they ended up marrying a second person completely different but had criminal uh background and rage and issues and what was interesting is even in that situation where she's definitely innocent and definitely the guys that she has been with those two and i think there was a third are are people who were serious had serious issues there was still something in her that was attracted to and drawn to or working itself out or you know and it's and basically family dynamics right you've got to go mm -hmm. like okay let's understand what is it within the family dynamics that is drawing her to the to these people so again it's this dialectic of instead of seeing these two people as completely one is innocent and one is guilty of seeing that even whenever it's very clear because in this issue it was very clear there was a guy who was guilty not a good he wasn't terrible but he wasn't a great guy uh and she you know probably shouldn't have been with him and eventually they split up but even in that situation there's a question of right what what is playing out here why are why 
why are these people orbiting each other's lives? And uh, so uh, it's very important for us to try to break out of this notion that we are atoms. It's a very modern notion that we are private individuals who have our Mm -hmm. own internal world. I mean, even with mimetic desire, you start to desire what the other person desires. At a very simple level, you go out with somebody and they like French movies. And eventually you start liking French movies. And then when you break up, you want half of the French movies because you think, because you desire it. You desired their desire. Their, they, their desire forms your desire. Then you yeah. say, that's my desire. <laughs> and uh, But so even with the most basic thing of desire, you can see how we are intimately interconnected we take on the burdens of each other yeah uh in um this uh stuff i'm studying about complexes which i think is a great way to look at a lot of that behavior especially with the person who like repeats that same type of person that that dates the bad boy constantly um one of the things i was listening to was saying that that when you're the idea of the complex from the union perspective is basically that it's it's rooted in trauma and it can act autonomously at times and it look it will throughout your life constantly be looking for more material to fill in like so you, you and it does it unconsciously so you end up in a relationship again and you go how did i get here uh how do i how do i keep making this same mistake and it's because you have something that has not yet been brought into consciousness that you are unaware of that is seeking some sort of it's seeking some kind of activation and seeking some kind of fulfillment uh and the the catch 22 uh or the bad news is is at least in this in union theory you can't really get rid of the complex ever it's never going to like go away you can't cure it it's not going to get you know you can't solve it but you can learn uh that it's there and learn to sort of quote unquote fill it with something that is not as destructive in your your everyday life yes and this Very by fun. the way this is one of the reasons i know i keep bringing this up in our podcast but i uh this is why i kind of say often that while meditation is great and can be very helpful for people meditation is not the best technique to get to the unconscious for one simple reason and maybe we talked about this last time i'm not sure but the idea is that that we project stuff onto somebody else so often the the parts of myself that I can't look at, I put onto somebody else. And it's them, if they if they're trained, they can then kind of like manifest and show me that part of myself that I've that I've put onto them. And that's again what we're talking about with this uh, you know, the symptom bearing child or whatever, is that that the, the family unit don't even notice that it's happening, but the child notices it's happening. They yeah. feel it. And eventually, if they're able to speak it, they're able to say, because the parents could be, you know, sitting, doing meditation, doing all that. But the child bears the unknown face of the other. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. The so, un- go ahead. The unlived life of the parent to bring us back. Yes. Oh, that. yes. And, and the unlived life of the parent. Yes, it's there. And but And when it's spoken, when it's brought to the surface, then, you know, you begin to see that element. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was in, um, a therapy session yesterday and I I was, it was a good one, an intense one, which sometimes they're not, sometimes it's more just like whatever, which I've had even therapy sessions about how (laughs) he gets really frustrated with me sometimes because I come in and I'm like, everything's great. I'm doing great. Everything's good. And, uh, which I did yesterday because I felt that's how things were going. And of course, as you go 
through these things. It ends up not being that way. And we were working on this correspondence that I'm, I'm trying to like get going. I'm trying to, to word something the correct way and uh, get my thoughts out in a way that's, that's the way I want to get them out. And it's, I'm trying to, you know, cause I can shoot from the hip sometimes trying to spend some time with it. And he, I read it back to him uh, that what we were kind of brainstorming back and forth. And he, as I was reading it back, I was like, Oh crap. I was like, I know he's gonna, he's gonna read, he's gonna read me reading it. Like, it's not just gonna be the text. He's gonna listen to the way I'm speaking, what I'm writing. And so I had that thought as I was reading it back to him. And I started as I was reading the words, the words were making me get emotional, like I was starting to feel like I might tear up or kind of choke up or something like that. And I was like, No, I was like, I'm not going to let him see that I, I'm like, I'm not going to get emotional about this right now. There's time for that later. When I'm by myself, I don't want to do it around somebody. And then I didn't think anything about it. And he kind of listens to it. And he's like, Alright, that's all good. And it's like 10 minutes later. And he goes, I got a thought. And I was like, Oh, no, he's got a thought. And he was like, I can see something he was like that I think you are unconscious of that is uh that explains a lot that you might want to take into account I was like okay this is I guess what I pray for uh lay it on me and he was like you when you're reading he was like this is a very serious thing that you're reading he was like this is a, a, a difficult thing that you're trying to get out he was like when you're reading it to me you're reading it in this very happy-go-lucky voice. You're reading it in this very high-pitched voice. He was like, uh, he was like, it's almost like you're on helium. It's almost like you're leaning forward and you're 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 um, you're talking not in a in a simp like you're not uh, you're compensating for for something. And I was like, you know, it's funny that you say that. I was like, because when I was reading it, I didn't want to get emotional in front of you, and so I I was like, I'm going to purposefully come off like this is fine. Uh, as a way of making sure that I don't, you know, break apart. And he was like, yeah, he was like, now extend that. He goes, think about what other areas of your life you do that in and have done that in. He was like, think about how you were in a marriage for a decade. Think about how you stayed in a religion for so long because you're walking around going, everything's great, everything's great. He was like, think about how you come into my uh, consulting room every most weeks and you're going, everything's great, everything's fine, everything's great. He's like, something in you is unconscious of the fact and and I, and he was like it's probably rooted in your childhood but there's something going on where you are uh you're 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 keeping everybody you're keeping everybody happy you're keeping everybody happy go lucky and being cool about stuff and he was like that he was like you are the youngest he was like that might have something to do with it he was like i was the youngest and it became a thing where it's like pretend everything's okay all the time and i was like oh uh, and he's like, now start. He's like, just think about it throughout the week and think about how often you do that. And I was like, okay, fine. And I was like, this is, and then it brought up the conversation about complexes. And I was like, oh, this is, I truly am unconscious of it. And I know like Grace will get frustrated with me because she'll be like, you're, everything's just fine all the time. Like you're fine all the time. And I'm like, yeah, no, I really feel like I'm, I'm fine all the time. And then I'll get upset about something out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, this is, there is actually reading about this stuff does not cure you of, yes. <laughs> uh, of falling falling victim to it. So yeah, yes, cool yes. For you. No, that's very good, and that 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 made me think of um, you know a couple of things. So, so one is sometimes you see in a family that, for example, there's a lot of sadness and and unhappiness, and then a child has to be the life and soul, and the the child kind of like hides the unhappiness of the parents so as long as the child is happy and the child is doing well and all of that then 
that ungeneralized unhappiness, say, between the parents doesn't get seen. But if yeah. the child then is unhappy, it's not just that the parents see an unhappy child, is that they're confronted with their the, the unhappiness or brokenness within the family. Or another one in America I see a lot is sometimes uh, religious parents put, uh, they have doubts about their religion, but the way they cover over those doubts is as long as their child believes. And even though they know their child doesn't, say their child pretends to still go to church and everybody knows that they don't really, but they they still play the game, then the parents are able to avoid a confrontation with their own doubt and unknowing. And uh, so everybody plays this game where the, where the child has to say, basically pretend to still believe. Yep. And if the child actually says at the dinner table, I don't believe, the true trauma is not that the parents realize their child doesn't believe because of course they know the child doesn't believe right they know the child's off in a different city having a good time not going to church what the true the true trauma is is they are now confronted with the disavowed the repressed doubts speaking that it, they yeah. had yeah 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 it's crazy yeah um yeah that was a nutty little car i was like oh crap what i gotta i was like i gotta work on this now all right this stuff's a pain in the ass uh i was like i'm done uh, i'm out of here but um yeah i i think that's very true and I, I i hear that sometimes from folks of uh you know especially in the south there is a, a culture often of just like that's fine like you can do whatever you want like believe whatever you want and and, and be that way just keep your mouth shut like don't yeah. talk about like keep it like keep it copacetic keep it happy um and then everybody loses their minds and everyone's yeah. unhappy very often. Like as well, like I, I've seen in middle America where uh, a, a, a son will come home or a daughter will come home with their partner and the two people will sleep in separate rooms in the parent's house, even though everybody in the family knows that they sleep in the same room and sleep together when they're apart. Yeah. And so the idea is that, and this is, I, I think we should do a whole episode on this, but the idea that um, nobody believes it, but we all refuse to acknowledge our belief we disavow the belief we have or i knew somebody who um every time her parents came around to her house she would hide the alcohol and one yeah. time she hadn't hidden some alcohol and the parents said you know it caused an argument and i said to my friend uh do, do your parents kind of not know that you drink and she said oh no they do. In fact, they're the ones who tell me to hide the alcohol when they come round, right? So yeah. it was this conceit that everybody was part of in order to cover over. So the idea was, you know, she said to me, well, if, if I didn't hide the alcohol, there would be uh, a crisis within the family unit. But I'm going, of course, the crisis in the family unit is already there. <laughs> this is this is just covering over it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, oh, that's fine. <laughs> yes. <Deal. laughs> which is yeah. also okay sometimes especially if it's uh christmas i guess uh yeah. or some other you know halloween whatever your family holiday is of choice well pete any other final thoughts about this particular subject of identified patient slash phobias which i thought was a really fun one we should maybe title this phobias slash yeah phobias. i well although i think i think we could do a whole episode on phobias actually it, it definitely touched on this this notion but uh yeah. there's loads more we could play into with phobia actually um so let's cool. let's do one on that um, Love it. yeah no i've i've enjoyed this this is a this i think it's a very simple but profound idea and at the very heart it's the idea that that i am formed by these relationships around me and that i carry often what's repressed and disavowed within family units and the explosions of violence often within society as well are the the, the symptoms of 
more generalized issues. And uh, as we become more sensitive to looking at that, uh, it can be very, very beneficial, both politically and personally. So yeah, no, I think I really enjoyed it. I love that. Um, I also think it's a fun thing to reverse when someone's getting really upset with you and really angry at you. And you're like, (laughs) I know we might disagree, but you seem really upset. Happens on the internet all the time. People Ah, freak out. (laughs) And you're like, oh, you are definitely really upset. Seems like that maybe something, maybe you're throwing something on me that is not really me, um, which is a fun little game to play. So yes. anyway, uh, thank you very much, Pete. I enjoyed this very much. I miss you so much. You better yeah. come home soon. My, me Stay and you safe. too. Can't wait. I can't wait to do this in person. And I can't wait for us just to do one of those wee nights where we have a few drinks and listen to some music together. Yeah, and so let's just do that as soon as I get back. Exactly. And if you would like to, I'm so excited. And if you would like to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. If you would like to support Pete, you can go to patreon.com slash Peter Rollins. And you can check out his peterrollins.com website where he has all sorts of fun information. And if you would like to see me do stand up, you can go to elliotmorgan.com slash tour. Thank you, everybody. And please remember, um, I have nothing after that. I don't know. <laughs> I like it was good. That's I like to leave it, ha- leave it hanging like that. All right. Bye, yeah. everybody. Bye.